The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, church. The scripture today will be from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for. The laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. For I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we're pressing right on through Luke's gospel. Uh, We've been agenda uh, for for what we're learning, what we're believing, how we want to live. We've been noticing a transition in the last few Chapters. So chapters 1 to 8 in Luke are all about who Jesus is. And what have you seen so far? It's been amazing, hasn't it? He's got uh, supernatural power. He's the son of God just pulling off incredible, astounding miracles. But he's also so compassionate. He's touching the leper. He's uh, receiving the prostitute. He's bringing in the Roman centurion. So all kinds of people are coming to him in his mixture of grace and love and truth, powerful teaching, power and humility. He's the son of God. That's who he is. Once we get into chapter 9, there's a little bit of a transition, and it goes basically like this. Given who Jesus is, if this is who he is, What does it then mean to follow him? 
If this is who he is, what does it mean to live the Christian life? And so that's the theme we'll kind of be uh, dancing with all the way through into chapter 19, how to live as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, how to live as a Christian. So you saw as we begin chapter 10, we're watching Jesus send out the 72, and what did he send them out to do? Did you, did you pick up anything? They have a message, right? He sends them out with a message. So guess what we get to talk about today? Evangelism, okay? We get to talk about evangelism. Now, that's kind of a hot topic, isn't it? It's kind of a hot topic. One reason it's a hot topic is because I think the greater attitude of our culture really looks down on evangelism. Our culture would be, well, believe whatever you want to believe, but what? You keep that mess to yourself, okay? You're free to believe what you want to believe. Keep it to yourself. And don't you dare make any big pronouncements about what people need to believe or have to believe to be saved. That's, that's bigoted. That's prideful. That's stubborn. You can't do that. So that's one reason it's a hot topic. Our general culture is saying, you know, we don't even think you should do this. Another reason it's a hot topic is, that, is because I think most Christians, and if you're like me, most Christians are terrified of evangelism. Anybody else out there? You're, 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 you're terrified by this idea. On the one hand, you don't want to be the really obnoxious, self-righteous person who's going to get somebody in a headlock and just, you know, believe. You're, you're scared by those people. You've probably interacted with some of those people. And something inside of you says, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and I'm with Christians for a decade and have never shared the gospel with their closest friends or their family members. And that probably sits with you wrong too, doesn't it? I mean, really, I've, I've got this, this thing I love, this change in my life, and I'm too, I'm too, I, can, I can tell them about the great dinner I had last night, but I can't tell them about the one who saved me from my sins. And so it's a hot topic. The culture looks down on it. We don't always know what to do with it. That's why it's so good to see Jesus as he sends out these 72. As he pushes these guys out of the nest, we're gonna get to see principles or, or encouragements from Jesus when he sends you out with a message. So that's what I wanna look at today. Uh, I'm gonna frame it like this. Six encouragements for when Jesus sends you out with a message. We're, we're gonna see in some ways their situation is very different from ours. Some of the elements don't translate based on what was happening. It was uh, descriptive to the moment and not prescriptive for everyone everywhere. So some of it doesn't translate, but a lot of it does. Luke didn't just write a, a history lesson for us. Uh, he wants us to learn from this, grow from it, and go with it. So six encouragements for when Jesus is sending you with a message. And here is encouragement number one. It's the big idea. You are sent by Jesus with a message. So if you're a Christian, I want you to go ahead and say it with me. Say, I am sent. Here we go. I am sent. That's right. You. Um, a lot of times numbers in the Bible have a lot of meaning. Did you notice how many people in this text Jesus sends out? How many was it? 72. Why didn't you just say Jesus sent out a large group? That would be fine, wouldn't it? How many disciples did Jesus have? 12. Who cares? Why didn't you just say, well, he has a group of disciples? Well, 12, does that remind you of anything? There were 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 disciples means this is the new people of God, 
right here. It's very meaningful. 72, this is a little less obvious. There's a copy of what we would call the Old, Old Testament that people of the New Testament times were using called the Septuagint. And in Genesis 10, there's a list of the table of nations. So it's kind of meant as this picture of all the peoples of the world. And let me just, a little trivia question. In that copy of the Old Testament, guess how many nations there are? 72. So here's what I think of the best theory is on the meaning of this number. To whom should the gospel go? Who should, who should hear this message of who Jesus is? Everybody. Everybody. All kinds of people. It needs to go everywhere. And as you read Luke, and then you read Luke's second book, Acts, it starts to do that. It should go everywhere. And so it's this, just this idea, you are sent everywhere. Everywhere. And maybe some of you will be like, you know what? God's calling me to go to India and be a missionary. And that's awesome, and we'll send you. But you know where I'd like you to start? God is calling you to go home to your family with the gospel. That's where I'd like you to start. God is calling you to go to your acquaintances, your friends, your coworkers, the people you meet everywhere. Everywhere you are, God is sending you. Second thing about that number 72 is there, it's 72 what? Others. Don't you love that word, others? So there was the 12 apostles, and we're all like, whoa, 12 apostles, okay? I'm not an apostle. Just to make that clear, I'm not one of those. Neither are you. If you think you are, we should meet afterwards, okay? There's, but here there's 72 others. And what's special about them? There's only one thing that's special about them in this tent, in this text. And it's this, Jesus is sending them. And sometimes we get the idea that, hey, Pastor Matt, we're really rooting for you as you share the gospel with everyone. <laughs> oh, and you elders, get to work. Go share the gospel with everyone. We're praying for you. Go, pastors, go. And as a pastor, I'm here to say, just say no, okay? You are sent. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are sent. If you've been a believer for 30 seconds, you are sent. If you know enough to be saved, you are sent. And here's the beautiful thing about it, is you don't realize, you might think, hey, somebody has an end div, or they preach, or they know the Bible, or whatever, they're better at it, and I'm over here in the corner, and I just can't do this. You, you don't realize that based on who you are, your failures, your failures, your successes, your, your problems, your issues, the thing you think that makes you not good enough to share, that, if you are a believer in Christ, makes you uniquely suited for the people God has put in your life. You have to remember that you are not here, wherever your here is, by accident. The people, you, your neighbors aren't your neighbors by accident. Your family members, your co every, everybody you're interacting with, it's not an accident that you know them. You've been sent to them. And you can reach them in a way that I or anybody else never could. Never could. We're a team. We're a team. You are sent. Jesus is sending you. If that's all you go home with, I'll be somewhat content. Okay? But we, I've, I've got you for a few more minutes, so that's not all you're going to go home with. If, Jesus is, if you are a Christian, Jesus is sending you. Next thing to see, not only Jesus is sending you, he's sending you with a message. What do you do with a message? 
You act like you're a good person and hope people will become a Christian by watching your life. I mean, seriously, how good of a person would you have to be for somebody to go, I need Jesus? Okay? You're not cutting the bill, okay? You're sent with a, a message. What do you do with a message? You speak it. You have to speak it. You have to speak it. And for them, verse nine, their message was the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, this is like an appetizer of the whole story of Jesus, right? So they're supposed to go into these towns, and Jesus himself is about to go in, and they are kind of doing a John the Baptist thing and saying, get ready, he's coming, here he is. You and I today actually have a far better message than they do. We have a better message. We know the whole story of the gospel, that good news. You know, in the old days, gospel meant this fundamental, world-changing news that everybody has to deal with. So there was the gospel of Caesar Augustus. He's now Caesar, and guess what everybody has to do? Deal with it, and it's changing everything. And here's the gospel of Jesus. Look at who's come, it's the Son of God. Look at what he's done, and it changes everything. What are you gonna do with it? It's good news that changes everything. So I just wonder, if you had to write it down on a little white card in front of you or on your bulletin, how would you write the gospel in one sentence? What would you have to say to somebody to make sure you actually told them the message? You know, it's a good thing to say, God loves you, but is that the gospel? It's really not. What do you need to say when you share the gospel with somebody? Well, if I was gonna do the gospel in one word, it would be Jesus, wouldn't it? Who he is, who he is. And uh, if I wanna do the, the gospel in like a, a phrase or sentence, it would be Jesus, who he is and what he's done. They need to know who he is and what he's done. So who is he? He's the son of God. He's eternally God. He's come. And he's taken on flesh. He's the promised king. He fulfills the entire Old Testament. Son of God, promised king, Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And what has he done? Well, he's the lamb of God. He lived a perfect life. He did what no one else has ever come close to doing. In his heart of hearts, he always loved his father. He always loved his neighbor. He always obeyed God's standard. Perfect life. And then he went to a cross, and he died on the cross. Why? Was it an example to show you his love? Let me just tell you, if it's just an example, it's a bad example. Do you want me to die on a cross to show you my love for you? That's weird, right? That's creepy. What did he do on the cross? Why is he there? He died for sins. He died for sins. The sins of his people, he paid for sins, he's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God who took on flesh, the promised King. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for sins. And what did he do after that? He rose from the dead. He's alive. He reigns. He reigns now. He's going to come back in victory to judge the living and the dead and renew the world. His kingdom is coming. It's going to be beautiful, blissful. And now what do we say to people? You want this, right? Can you have Jesus and everything he's done and everything he's going to do? How do you get it? What do you need to tell them? Do good work, clean yourself up? Is that what you need to tell them? What's the response you wanna give somebody about the gospel? Repent. What's repent mean? Just turn. So turn away from other kings, 
okay? Turn away from sin, rebellion. Turn away, it's bitter, it's ugly. Turn away and turn to him. Turn to him, trust him with your life and he will give you everything that he is. He will give you himself, everything that he's done, everything that he, he will do is yours. You'll be reconciled to God the Father freely as a gift if you'll just trust him. Trust your life to him. And that's our message. Isn't that our message? Can you share that message with somebody? Is God calling you to share that message with somebody? If you want help, there's a little red book in our soul food library. Did you see that? Check it out. Read those books. There's a little book called Evangelism. Great little simple book to help you get rolling. But let's just back up and get the major ideas. What has Jesus done with you if you belong to him? He has sent you. And he has sent you with what? A message, a message. He's sent you with a message. And I want you to see how seriously Jesus takes this. Look at verse 16, verse 16. Jesus has sent you with a message. And this is how serious it is. The one who hears you hears, what? Me. As you share this message, Jesus says, the one who hears you hears me. I'm in awe of this. God willing, I'm teaching this text faithfully. God willing, I'm trying. I want to teach it faithfully. If I'm teaching it faithfully, to the extent I'm teaching it faithfully, as you hear me, who are you hearing? Jesus. Now, that scares me to death because this is not about my deserving or my awesomeness or my smartness or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. But God uses humble tools to share his message. So I'm telling you that if your message is faithful, it's not just me speaking Jesus' words. Guess who else speaks it? You do. You do. And if your message is faithful, when those people hear you, guess who they hear? Jesus. And now it gets real sober. The one who rejects you rejects me. If you reject this word that, God willing, I'm teaching faithfully, guess who you're rejecting? Jesus. If the people in your life reject your word that you're sharing faithfully, guess who they're rejecting? Jesus. I mean, he really has sent you. He really has sent you, and it, it, it keeps going. The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So if we reject Jesus, who are we rejecting? God the Father. Now, this is a hated message in our culture. Hated message. Now, just you saw what Jesus says. Let's look, look at 10 to 15. So sober. 10 to 15. So I'll just summarize it. When they go into a town, they're gonna preach the gospel. And if people reject them, they're gonna dust the feet, wipe the dust off their feet. And then they're gonna say to them, it'll be better for you on the day of judgment for like Sodom than for you. Now let's plug this in. Plug this in. So a city like Capernaum, Chorazin, what are these cities like? Well, they're full of religious Jewish people who believe God's word in the Old Testament, at least supposedly, and believe in God. None of these people are atheists. Not one. Not one. And Jesus says to these cities, 
on the day of judgment, it'll be worse for you than for Sodom because you've rejected me. Now, just to go back in time, Sodom, that's a nasty place, okay? These, the, Sodom is like, draw up the list of sins that are big, bad, ugly, foul, where everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's a sin, okay? That's what the city is like. So do you hear how radical what Jesus is saying here? It is radical. He is saying to religious people who have a moral compass, who like the Bible, he is saying to them, if you reject me, you have rejected the God you claim to worship and you are worse than the worst sinners you've ever heard of because you rejected me. That's just... So friends, when you're sharing the gospel with people, and they say to you, oh, I believe in God. Don't be like, oh, sweet, we're all good. Oh, no. Oh, no. And this is the challenge for us in our day, okay? It's pretty rare, actually, to meet a strict, straight-up atheist. You can meet lots of people who believe in God and have their own way with God, and they're right with God, they think. And you've got to take the conversation to whose name? Jesus. And here's what, I mean, I hope you see that Jesus said this. Jesus said this about religious people. If they reject me, they have rejected God himself. Jesus is the line drawn in the sand. Who he is. And so when Jesus says to us, whoever hears you, hears me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me and rejects the one who sent me. This sobers us up, doesn't it? Wow. Do you see the honor and responsibility that we share together? Jesus has sent us with a message about him. It's about him. And we owe the world that message. And he has sent us so strongly that if we are faithful to that message, when we speak, they hear him. And when they reject that message, they reject him. And when they receive that message, they receive him. Do you hear it, my friends? Do you hear it? Jesus has done what with you if you're a Christian? Sent you with a message about him. Him. Can I get an amen? Okay. Now, somebody might say, now see, this is the problem, right? This is the problem, you're gonna make claims about heaven and hell, and you're gonna say you're better than other people because you know this gospel, and that brings conflict and violence on the earth, they'll say, and they'll say, look at all the violence religion brings. You should never evangelize. I wanna think about that with you just for a moment because you'll hear it at some point, maybe you have already. I did have a conversation once in my own life and experience um, with an atheist on a plane. And that sounds funny, I feel like that should be a movie, Atheist on a Plane. Um, okay, so it was, it was a friendly conversation, but the first thing he talked about when, he, when, I, when I brought up Christianity was he brought up this issue of evangelism. He did not like the idea of evangelism, and what was so ironic and interesting to me was that he worked very hard to convince me not to evangelize. So I, I, I tried to listen for a while, you know, and he was giving me a, a gospel about his, how his way of viewing the world was good and how I should embrace that way of viewing the world as well. And I did, uh, 
I did in the end say a little bit, hey, bro, you, you realize what you're doing to me right now? What's he doing, folks? He's evangelizing, okay? Which, guess what? I have absolutely no problem with. I have no problem with it at all. Keep going. Keep, talk to me. Tell me what you believe. Tell me why you think it's better. Then, then give me a chance. Let's have a real exchange of ideas with gentleness and respect. I am all for it. I want to listen to you. But let's be honest. As you're telling me not to evangelize, you are evangelizing. So remember that. And when anybody says never evangelize, they'll say it like this. You can believe something, but just keep it to yourself. Never evangelize it. You, you realize that's... That's smoke and mirrors. Because if you really believe Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to reconcile you to the Father and the only way to get you out of the wrath and judgment of God for sin, if you really believe that, then how sick and twisted do you have to be to never share that with anybody? Okay? How sick and twisted would you be if you had the magic cure for AIDS or for cancer or for something like that? If you had it and you could do it, you're like, but I'm just gonna give it to my friends and family. How horrid would you be how selfish would you be? Well, I don't want to push people away by giving them the cure to their greatest problem. We can't do that. We can't do that. So if you really believe the truth about Jesus, obviously, what you got to do sometimes? You got to share it. You got to share it. So when they say, believe it, but don't share it, let's quit playing. They're telling you don't believe it. And we, right, would never say that to anybody, I hope. Would you ever say that to anybody? Don't tell me what you believe. I hope not. I hope you would say the opposite. Tell me more about what you believe. Tell me more. Not be threatened by that. Listen to that. Love this person. Respect them, but listen to it, and then tell them as well. Anyway, I'm going to comfort you right now. The first point is the longest, okay? The first point is the longest. Jesus has sent you with a message about him. Second point. I'm gonna move faster. Don't you love that? That was all from like the first couple phrases of verse one. <laughs> After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he was to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So our second point is you're sent prayerfully together. You're sent prayerfully together. He sent them out, what are the numbers? Two by two, two by two. You can imagine, can't you, how much better it is to have a brother, a sister with you in this process of evangelism. I mean, I'm in a discipleship group right now. We're meeting once a week on Thursdays and we ask each other, who are you sharing the gospel with? And you know what that does to us? It, 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 it keeps it on our mind, I need to be doing this. And then we come together and we pray together. And then sometimes you have this, well, what's the, how, how should I handle this situation? And you get help, you get support, you get encouragement, you get confidence. He sent them two by two. And, uh, you know, we could tease this out in a lot of different ways. But let's just remember, we're a team together. We're a team together. And community enhances evangelism. Look at this text from John 13, 34 to 35. John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you what? If you have love for one another. So you see here, you can't really faithfully evangelize to its full extent if there's not this echo of Christian community in your life, 
Because how do people really see Jesus' love? As we love one another. We're a team that could work out in a million practical ways. But just think one way is you can bring a friend to church. And, and say, say somebody over here brings their friend to church. What do the rest of us want to do that morning? What do you want to do? You want to be like, oh, there's new people. Stay away. No, please, please, no. Please, please welcome them. Because what do you want them to sense? God's love. Bring them in on your conversations. We're supposed to love one another. Do y'all love one another? Do you want to get better at it? I love you guys. I need to love you better, okay? You love one another. We need to love each other better. And, and what should they hopefully see as we interact? Our love for one another. And guess what? We'll just start to... Jesus' love. So we, we evangelize together as a team. That's all I'm gonna say there. But keep it in mind, not only that, we're sent prayerfully together. Prayerfully together. Verse two, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. I'm always like, Jesus, you have it backwards. I don't mean that, of course. But doesn't it feel like sometimes? Does it feel like the harvest is plentiful? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. He says, the laborers are few. And then he tells you to pray for something. And what is he asking you to pray for? More laborers. And what does that mean? More people who will actually go with his message. So you and I, together, what do we need to pray for? Dear God, send out more people to share the message. Send them, send them out. And you know what starts to happen? Watch this. Dear God, send them out. Send out workers. And I pray for my friend over here, and I pray, and I pray for my friend over there, and I just pray, God, please send somebody to them. Send somebody to him, anyone but me. What's happening when you pray this prayer? You're going. You get trapped in your own vortex. <laughs> send him somebody. Send me. Here I am, God. Send me. Send more out. Send me. Send me, Lord. Help me. Give me the door. Give me the opportunity. Send, send everybody at Fountain of Life out, Lord. What would it be like if this week every one of us shared the gospel in some way with one person. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't it be beautiful? Why not? You don't think God will honor this prayer? If you say this week, Lord, this week, one time, let me share the gospel with somebody. You, you don't think he'll set you up? You don't think it'll be there? It will be there. It will be there. And then when you're thinking about it, you're praying, tell somebody. Tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about the person. Pray for that person. Tell somebody. Because we're sent together prayerfully. Okay, point one, you're sent by Jesus with a message about him. Point two, you're sent together prayerfully. Point three, you're sent with courage. Jesus needs a new marketing director because look at verse three. Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as what? Lambs in the midst of what? Wolves. <laughs> What happens to lambs in the midst of wolves? This sounds like an interesting YouTube video, right? Hey, watch this. There was this lamb in the midst of wolves. He'd be, whoa. And that's why, you know, Jesus' PR guy would be like, hold up. Can we soften that a little? You realize if you put it quite in those terms, nobody's going to want to go because a lot of people have a lot of ambitions. Rarely have I heard, I just want to live life like I'm a lamb in the midst of wolves. But Jesus... 
Jesus is the kind of savior who goes to a cross courageously. Come on, follow me. I'll rise from the dead. Come on, be a lamb amongst wolves. You'll die, but you'll live. You'll live. He sends you out with courage. Because that's a special kind of lamb who'll walk right into that circle of wolves. He'll walk right in. He sends you out with courage. You're gonna face rejection, right? Luke 6, to 23, you're gonna face rejection. And I know sometimes when you try to share the gospel and you get rejected for it, you feel like you should have done it better or if only you had done this or that or the other thing, they would have finally, you know, if you could have been nice enough, cool enough, smart enough, hip enough, relevant enough, it really would have worked. That's not the case. And when you get rejected for sharing the gospel, Luke 6, 22, what's that first word? Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, they might just exclude you. When they revile you, make fun of you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, on my account. What should you do, friends? Verse 23, rejoice, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Jesus is proud of you. Go with courage, go with courage. Courage to face rejection. Second courage, I think, is just to stay a lamb. You know what I mean by that? Stay a lamb. Lambs are gentle. Lambs are willing to suffer patiently in this illustration. Don't become a wolf. Don't become a wolf evangelist, a manipulator, raw, obnoxious, self-righteous, condemning. It takes courage to stay humble, to stay gentle, stay a lamb. Third one is the courage to trust Jesus for provision. You look from four to eight and you see some stuff that's a little weird to us. Don't take a money bag, don't take sandals, don't greet anybody on the road. Most of this is, is to that moment. They're on, a, on a, quick, a quick journey to do it right now in a real place. Jesus is gonna die on a cross pretty soon. We gotta hit these cities now. So don't take anything for provision. That's part of this. Why? What's Jesus telling them? I'll provide for you. I'll provide for you. Courage to trust him. And then the thing about don't go from house to house, well, supposedly uh, teachers in that day, you know, they'd go to a town and you'd stay with one person in their house and they've got, a, they've got a little extra room for you in the closet, okay? And then you meet another guy who really likes your message and he's got a house on the lake with a boat. And he's like, hey, why don't you come stay with me? And you're like, hmm, okay, the eats are better, the view's better, I can use the boat. Jesus says, no, stay in the first house. Why? Integrity. You're not doing this for selfish gain. You're not doing this to make more money. You're not doing this to get scalps. You're not doing this for something to brag about. You're not doing this for power or manipulation. This is not about you and your gain. Uh, trust me for the identity that you need. Trust me for the provision that you need. Courage to trust, that's what this is about. Courage to trust. But do you see Jesus sends you out with what? Courage. So let's back it up, take it home with you. Jesus is doing what? What's he doing with you? Sending you with a message about him, Jesus. He also sends you in prayerful, what? Community. Pray to be sent. Do it together. Third thing, he sends you out with courage. Courage. Trust him. Fourth one, he sends you out with mercy. Look at verse nine. What's he tell these guys to do? Heal the sick. You know, this is the apostolic age, okay, in the time of the apostles. 
in Jesus Christ himself, miracles were exploding to vindicate the reality of the message. So these people could do things we can't do. Jesus had given them his power. Now, I'm not denying that God doesn't sometimes do miracles as a response to prayer. I believe he does. I believe he has. I believe he will. But I am denying I don't think we have the apostolic gift of healing like they did. Can I get an amen? If you, and if you have that, why are you not at the hospital this afternoon? Get it done. We don't have it. But they were meant, do you see how they were meant to show mercy to everyone in that city? Did he say only show mercy to those who believe the message? No. He's told us before, love your enemies. Show mercy to everyone. As we share the gospel, what should be our heart, attitude, lifestyle? Show mercy. Show hospitality, serve people, have them over. Show a listening ear, care about people. Show, show a, a, a willingness to bear burdens. There's a million ways to love people and show mercy, but that needs to be right on the edge of what we're looking for, of what we're hoping for. How can I serve and show mercy and help heal this person? And I think this is so important because there tends to be this rift I feel like among Christians, as generally speaking, they're either really like word-based, share the gospel, we don't care about mercy, or they're mercy, do good deeds, do good deeds, but I'm not gonna share the news, I'm just gonna be a good person. What's Jesus telling you to do? Where should the needle be? Share the gospel and show mercy. Now, some of you are gifted for mercy, and you'll be better at mercy than you are at sharing the gospel. You're still going to share the gospel. And some of you are really good at the theology and the word, and you're, and you're good at sharing the gospel. Guess what you still need to do? Show mercy, okay? That's the fourth point. You are sent with mercy. Number five, you are sent with power. You are sent with power. This is uh, at verse 17 here, the 72 come home. The 72 returned with joy. Isn't that awesome? They go on this trip and they returned with joy. They're so excited. And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, strange phrase, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What do you think this means? What do you think this means? First of all, let's back up just a little bit. How do you feel when I throw the word Satan at you? What are we supposed to do with that idea? Let me spend a few minutes here. You know Satan is a person, right? A spiritual person. What do you know about him? He's genius. He's totally evil. Absolutely evil. Jesus knows all about him. Look at these verses from John. John 8 and John 10. Jesus is gonna tell you about Satan, what Satan do, does, what Satan wants. John 8, 44, he was a, what? Murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is what? No truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What's the main thing Satan wants to do? It's not give you nightmares. It's not get you to sacrifice goats in the woods. He wants to lie to you. Think about that. His major skill is lying. It's lying. This ultimately is a truth issue. He's lying. And then verse 10, John 10, verse 10. 
He comes only, what's, what's, what are his hobbies? Steal and kill and destroy. So he lies so that he can steal, kill, and destroy. If that's true, how important is the truth? He wants to ruin you, and his major way to do it is lie. It's not take your money or make you sick or, or any of those other things. It's not to give you nightmares. It's to lie to you so that you will believe and follow and want a lie. And that is the way he ruins you. And we go out with a message. What is the power to liberate someone ultimately from Satan and what Satan wants to do? If his major thing is to lie, then what is the power to crack his teeth? Truth. Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Satan wants to lie, steal, kill, destroy. Jesus gives truth, mercy, life, renewal. Wow. John 10.10. I came that they may have life and life abundantly. So as, as we see Jesus say, I saw Satan fall, there's a lot of however long ago, I don't think that's it. And here's why. Because the disciples just came and said, we casted out demons. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall. I think it's happening right now. And Jesus had spiritual insight into what was occurring. As these guys went out with the gospel and somebody believed it, who got cracked in the teeth? And so Jesus is seeing like lightning somehow, a spiritual reality of someone being set free. You know, in Luke 15, Jesus will tell us when one sinner turns his heart over to Jesus, there's a party in heaven. I wanna, don't you wish you could kinda like get your spiritual channel on and be like seeing that? Jesus is on the spiritual channel. He's seeing Satan fall as people believe. Colossians opens this up. I just wanna share this with you quickly. As Jesus is seeing Satan fall, as the beginning of the gospel goes out, he's seeing this whole story that he's gonna complete. That Satan, the one who wants to ruin everybody, will be defeated. Look at Colossians 2, 13 to 15. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Satan was defeated on the cross. His power to lie and steal and kill and destroy was defeated and put to shame when Satan fell on his own sword. The cross of Jesus defeated him. And so when you trust the gospel, you're set free from what Satan is doing. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us from what? The domain of darkness. Where'd you used to live? Where was your address before Christ? The domain of darkness. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us where? To the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you go out with the gospel, my friends, you don't have any idea of how much power you go out with. 
Not because you're powerful, but because the gospel is powerful. And, and do you realize, I mean, I, our culture loves movies like these where you tap into the real universe and you become a great warrior, okay? The Matrix, Harry Potter, I don't know. You could probably go on and on. You, you see the real universe and you become a great warrior and we all watch those movies and go, you know? And then we go back to our normal boring lives, okay? Listen to this text and tap into the actual real universe. There is a holy God and there is a wicked Satan and God is defeating Satan through the message of the gospel and God has saved you by the gospel and he has given you the gospel and he is sending you out with the gospel which is the power of God to salvation. Do you see? He has sent you out with power. I don't feel very powerful. I don't feel very powerful sometimes, but don't forget it. It's the truth. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. All right, I'm on my last point. I want you to take it home, so let's remember them. What was the first one? Jesus has done what with you? Sending you with a message about him. What was the second one? Jesus sends you in prayerful community. Send us out, Lord. Do it together. Number three, Jesus sends you out with courage. He's gonna provide for you. Number four, Jesus sends you out with mercy. We wanna love and serve one another. Fifth, Jesus sends you out in power because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Here's the last one, verse 20. Nevertheless, Jesus says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice, what should make you rejoice, friends? Your names are written in heaven. Jesus sends you out by grace. Why did he want his disciples not to rejoice in the power they had or in their success? You know what happens real quick? You get self-righteous. We saw them, right? It wasn't too long ago they were arguing about who the greatest was. <laughs> Remember that? They're looking really fine, being, being cocky like that. When your motivation is your success, what you've done, how many people you evangelized to, how many converts you got, how big your church is, how, how many whatevers you did, how much mercy you showed, when you start rejoicing in what God has enabled in you, it gets sour real quick. And there's a deeper motivation he wants to push you into that's sweeter, it's more pure. It, it will last you through rejection. It will keep you on the ground in success. It will melt your heart for others. It will win you. And it's grace. It's undeserved love. Let me show you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And think about that. Did Jesus try to just save a general, stereotypical group of people and he doesn't really know who's gonna get saved? Is that how this works? No way. If you trust Christ, there is a record somehow in the mind of God. And what's written there? Your name. If you could climb up into what that looks like and you were looking through the book, wouldn't it be kind of thrilling to be like, Matt Ford, oh my gosh, how did I make it into that book? This is incredible. I'm in the book. 
I wanna tell you more about this book. Sometimes you don't feel God's love for you. Sometimes you feel alone, you feel abandoned, you feel like you're doing it all in your own strength. And Jesus says, you need to remember your names in the book. So you, guess what you need to remember? You remember your names in the book. Let me show you this book. It's a crazy book. Revelation 13.8. Revelation 13.8. I love this verse so much. Unpack it with me just for a minute. Revelation 13.8. Your name was written. When? Before the foundation of the world. In the book of what? Of life. Of the lamb who was slain. It's a mind bender a little bit. When was this book written? Before the world was made. What's the title of the book? The book of life of the lamb who was slain. When did God know and plan and determine that Jesus would be the perfect lamb who was slain? Before the world. And your name's written in it. He's known you from before the world. He planned to save you from before the world. Jesus was sent for you to be slain for you so that your name could be written in the book. Did you earn God's love for you? He received it by grace. Why do you love me? And his answer is because, because I want to love you. And you'll be like, but look, I don't deserve it. And he'll be like, that has nothing to do with it. I love you because I want to love you and I've saved you and your name is in my book. And when you are warmed up by his grace and you are humbled by his grace and your joy is, hey, no matter what happens today or tomorrow, my name's in the book. You'll have a different angle on evangelism. You'll have a different angle. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this why, or do this how, excuse me, with gentleness and respect because you're humble, because your name's in the book. Your motivation is God's grace for you in Christ. So if you're not a Christian today, trust Jesus. He lived a perfect life for you. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. Turn from your other kings, your fake kings. Turn to him. He will give you himself, his kingdom. He's earned your reconciliation with God, your adoption. Trust him. And if you are a Christian today, you're sent with a message about Jesus. And you can go in the attitude of grace knowing that Jesus was sent for you. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.